to another edition of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And y'all, we've got Here we go. maybe one of the most interesting and controversial, controversial topics right. we've ever discussed coming at you right. today. And in... In some ways, we've already discussed this, and, and with the personal inside knowledge, and and I know we'll get into that. But Jim once again now did himself uh, uh, and put this one together, in in light of all of the recent, you know, supposed clemency hearings and all yeah. that stuff. They got canceled, and now we got a new governor in. Um, I'm gonna try to be accurate. Not that I would. No, everybody right. wasn't yeah, accurate always, last time. I'm going yeah, on a record always saying that. Accurate, uh, but how about when you fixed it and all the national media fixed it? Right? <laughs> yeah. So, two two hours later, I right. go click on the link and it and it says commute on right, there, and I'm right. like, wow, it didn't say that before. All right, so we'll just get into the bloody end goal, and we love and appreciate each and every one of y'all, and thank you, Patreon members. We we love you, love you, love you. Uh, if you're not one, go check it out. We got a ton of, of bonus episodes and everything that are put up for our Patreon members. Hundred percent. And uh, in today's episode, it's going to center around the Louisiana Supreme Court decision made in 2015, y'all, and that's known as Montgomery versus Louisiana. And y'all, y'all, Montgomery versus Louisiana centered around what was the longest serving convict in bloody Angola's history. And, and they've had a lot of long ones, right, too. Right. So. I mean, a lot of them died. Yeah. The, um, but this is Henry Montgomery. Now, Henry was released from Angola on November the 17th of 2021 after being locked up for 57 years. And he was released when he was 75 years old. So we're going to start. Uh, with what put him there and what he did during those 57 years behind bars and what role uh, he had not only in Louisiana history, but in United States history that led to his release. So you can't tell Henry Montgomery's story without telling officer Charles Hurt's story. So we're going to start right there and we're going to bring you back to November 13th of 1963. And at that time, Officer Hurt was assigned to what's known as the Scotlandville area of East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, Scotlandville at that time, yeah. majority black. Right. Well, you know, I'm, we're not being racist. It was all black. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's still segregation. Still, still, yeah, it's still seg- it, was, it was still segregation during that time and everything. And it was just really you know, known as a, a tough neighborhood. It still and, is and, to, and, until to, today, to, 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 even to today. And to be assigned that as a, as a white um, officer, you, you had to be something special. That's right. And and y'all remember, this is the, the early 60s. It was a different time. And although Deputy Hurt was a white officer, he was but he respected and he worked well with that community, right. which quite honestly, y'all, it was rare during that time. As a matter of fact, 
Deputy Hertz started a junior deputy program for male uh, male kids at the uh, Scotlandville neighborhood. And he was even assi- even assisted a black uh, mother whose son was serving in Vietnam. And at her request, well, she, she was illiterate. Yeah, she yeah. was illiterate. And he at her request, he would um, stop by her house and he would read her son's letters to her. He would then write her response to her son. So he he wasn't your, you know, back in those days, what would be considered a typical uh, white versus black right, kind of right. individual. He he was uh, well known in that community as being fair. Let's put it that way. And he was a really good family man. Uh, he was very highly respected as a sheriff's deputy. He had he was a great husband to his wife, and they had three children. And uh, let me give you a little bit of perspective on how long ago this was to give you that perspective. It was the same month that JFK was assassinated. Right. right. And and I'm gonna touch on this real quick. The when I was a young uniform patrol officer and and you know the predominantly uh, well the all the all African American neighborhoods that I worked in, the ninety nine percent of them I had their respect. And yeah. they, I mean, I would get out and talk to them and hang out and stuff like that. But they knew when I came down there, I meant business too. That they're the ones that gave me the name of the wool. But I can't imagine, you know, this for social media and everything else. And I can't imagine the respect that he had to get, even from the bad guys will give you the respect because they know this guy's going to take the time to write, a, a read a, a letter at mom, his son's, there's, son's letters from Vietnam and take the time to write them. That's a special character, right? Yeah. And, and that gets around. And, and so that's right. It, uh, well, let, let me tell you what happened. So on November 13th, 1963, officer Herb was patrolling the Scotlandville area and he was actually following up on a theft case. And naturally, you know, he probably would re- respond to the scene and they told what was stolen and probably, the theft had just happened, um, and this this happened to me, right? You, you look at who's in the neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, and he did the same thing. He's following up on theft case, and he came across a group of kids who were just hanging around a, a wreck building um, at, at the Annie T. Jordan Community Park. And so Officer Hurt pulls in because it was during school hours, and it, it was common for the, the cops to break up a group of kids who were playing hooky during that time, and he thought one of them may have had something to do with the theft. Yeah. So he sees very him. common during right. that time. Yeah. It wasn't like now they they see them now. Right. You know. right. So, but back then they would they would break those things. He's, he's up. proactive, and he's I mean you know what? He, because he cares about the people in the neighborhood. It may be some, something small that was stolen, whatever it may be. He's he's like you know what? I'm I'm gonna do my job. I'm gonna try to make these people whole again and 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 stop this from happening again. So. He, he pulls. He's at the rec center, and he walks behind the building, and he sees Henry Montgomery, who was nicknamed Wolfman by his friends, because uh, uh, he had these large incisor teeth, y'all. And so Officer Hurt uh, asked Henry to turn around. So you know, we always do that, and uh, I would always say, "Hey, you know, let me pat Frisky for officer safety." And he did that. Is he asked him to turn around and? Um, he begins to pat him down from the waist in case he had a knife or a gun. And what, unfortunately, what Officer Hurd didn't know was that Montgomery had a gun, but it was it was in the the uh, breast pocket of his jacket. So while Officer Hurd's patting him down from the waist to his shoe top, Henry's tw- Henry Montgomery's twenty two pistol, which is commonly known in the South as a Saturday night special, y'all. It's just like the cheapest you know, little pistol that you can get. Some of them are homemade, but actually 22 pistols were killed. 22 rounds killed more people than all the other rounds put together because of these type pistols. But anyway, he's patting him down in the Saturday night special. The pistol accidentally falls out of the jacket, uh, uh, Henry's jacket. And Henry catches it with the bend in his arm, like in the crook. And, and officer hurt sees this and, they both come face to face with each other, and I can tell you this from experience: it's a whole shit moment. Both of them in fear. Um, 
and unfortunately, Henry Montgomery panicked and he shot Officer Hurts. Yeah, and that's that's an important point to this story in that, you know, had Officer Hart not went back there, he would have obviously still been alive. Right. But not only that, I, it appears from the story that uh, Henry – did not have the intention of shooting. Had that gun not fell out, he, pro- you know, yeah. none of that would have probably happened. The, the, but it doesn't matter. It, right. it happened, right? But let me tell you, this is how dangerous police work is. One night, I was rolling, for lack of a better term, through the hood, like three o'clock in the morning. I see a guy walking on the on the road, and there's nobody on the road at time in the morning, usually except for the dope dealers and users. And I just pulled up to him and I rolled the window down, and I was like, hey, bud, what's up? And I wasn't really going to stop you know, stop and talk to him or anything. And he looked back over his shoulder, and he kept walking. I was like, oh, shit, here we go, right? I said, hey, man, hold on. And it, um, and then I had a legal right to stop him because it's called obstruction on public passage. If you have, if you have your feet on the road, that's actually a law. Mm-hmm. And I was and, and I said, hey, home, uh, uh, you know, what's up? You know, I was just trying to be cool. Yeah. And he turned and looked at me with that look in his eye, and he kept walking. And I called out to him again. He kept walking. So I pulled up, and I opened my door, and I get out. I'm like, hey, man, come here. And, and when when he turned, he pulled a pistol on me. And I literally grabbed the pistol. It was a cheap uh, Saturday night special, cheap revolver. And I grabbed the revolver and stopped the the, um, it, he pulled the trigger. I stopped it. It hit my hand. Oh, the hammer did. And I ended up calling 108 on the radio, and we fought. And I got the better of him. And when I got up and had him in handcuffs, I, I called my daughter. And she was like four years old at the time. I was a single dad. Wow. But this, it just happens, right? Yeah. So when – That the, quick. The, the, that quick. And blink of an eye. He got sugar turner shit, right? And so on, on you know, officer – Hurt, uh, yeah, it's just I could see it on my mind's eye almost this going down, you know. But like you said, ultimately, the dude pulled the trigger in yeah, panic. That's it, there's it's no way around that part. That's that's it. So, uh, Officer Hurt is laying on the ground, he's dying. Henry kind of freaks out and he hauls ass, right? And there were no witnesses now. This is 1963, y'all, and a white police officer just got killed in a in a black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, like we said, it was still se- segregated, so all hell right. broke loose. 300 officers show up in the Scotlandville community. Roadblocks go up. Right. Canines get deployed, right. and police rounded up pretty much every person they could find in the area and start interrogating them. Right. They eventually get to Montgomery, who was 17 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, during a search of his house, they they you know they found him acting strange, and they're like, he knows something. Uh, and hey, I can assure you, not to interrupt you, but no. when you do this, first of all, there's that there wasn't 300 police officers in Baton Rouge. They yeah, every. Surrounded agency from East Feliciana Parish to West Baton Rouge Parish to Livingston Parish, whatever. They sent whoever they could. They put the uh, Scotlandville on lockdown, basically. The, the whole yep. neighborhood surrounded it. And they start shaking the trees is what you call it. And then say, look, but just like we talked about this officer being a good officer, people, the the word on the script, they say streets talk. Yeah. And the word on the streets would have led them ultimately. They didn't just show up at Montgomery's house and search it for no reason. Right. Somebody said, "Hey, we saw Montgomery running, and we, you know, whatever." Right. Yeah. So, so they uh, they go to his house, they search it, and they come upon a rafter in his home where he had hidden, and they find that twenty two Saturday Night Special uh, in that rafter. So. Of course, they haul him in to headquarters, and after interrogating him for a while, he he confesses on tape to the shooting. Now, this is an important point. Montgomery never denies killing this officer, so that it's it's not that he admitted it and then he tried to recant it at some point during 
you know, that all that time he was in prison, he's always admitted to this right. and uh, I guess accepted his responsibility in the murder of Officer right. Hurt. Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, what do they do, right? You, you lock him up and you are going to trial because no defense attorney is going to plead. And that, and their clients who life in prison, much less the death penalty. But so he goes to trial and his defense lawyers um, say he's crazy. They, they try to use an insanity plea and they focus on Montgomery's learning disabilities, which they always do. And they're uh, saying he was easily provoked and that's what caused the shooting. But Henry still got convicted of the first degree murder and sentenced to death in bloody Angola. Sentenced to death. Right. Um, and that's when gruesome Gurdy was still being used. Yep. Due to some of the issues with the first trial in, in 1966, he gets granted a new trial by the Louisiana Supreme court and was found guilty again. And this time around, he received life in prison rather than a death penalty. So really that's a win for him. Yeah. So what does he do? He goes bloody Angola. I mean, he it all not on death row, and uh, uh, he lives his life inside the wire. And this is the real bloody years, y'all. And Henry was in the middle of it since the young age of seventeen. See, so, then he did what inmates do. He exhausted all of his pills, and I would imagine he started to become more adapted to a situation in which we say that he. Um, he did. He did his time. Didn't let his time do him. Yeah, yeah. But a, a case in 2012 would change all that. Yeah, it really would. And you mentioned it, Woody. This was during the bloody, the bloodiest of the bloody years in Angola, the right. mid 60s. You know, all this is going down, and I'm I'm sure during that period of time and since. Uh, Henry had seen a lot of things inside the wire. Uh, so in 2012, you know, they had a ruling that would change all that. But before we talk about it, and that was known as Miller versus Alabama, let's talk about a 2010 ruling that really kind of set the stage for that. In 2010, there was a case known as Graham versus Florida. And in, in that case, the Supreme Court ruled juvenile life without parole sentences unconstitutional for crimes. But there's a there's a caveat there, excluding right. murder. Right. And that's the key, excluding murder. Then in 2012, there was a big one, and that was known as uh, Miller versus Alabama. In this case, the Supreme Court held that mandatory sentences of life without the possibility of parole are unconstitutional for juvenile offenders. The ruling applied even to those persons who had committed murder as a juvenile. So it extended beyond Graham right. versus Florida because it applied to murder as well. And uh, Justice Elena Keegan, uh, she wrote a... Uh, Majority opinion, which means that she was one of the people that essentially agreed with right, it right. on the Supreme Court. And uh, she stated that mandatory life without parole for those under the age of 18 at the crime at the time of their crime violates the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. She went on to say that mandatory life without parole for a juvenile precludes consideration of his chronological age and its hallmark features, among them immaturity, impetuosity, and failure to appreciate risk and consequences. It prevents taking into account the family and home environment that surrounds him and from what he cannot usually extricate. Uh, extricate himself no matter how brutal or dysfunctional so that was that was uh someone writing a majority opinion from the supreme court yeah basically what they're saying is is that at 17 in their minds that your brain's not fully developed enough yet right and then you have mitigating circumstances like family situations and stuff like that 
Right. And and there was a there were some dissenters on the Supreme Court and dissenter means they're just who disagreed with that. One of them was Chief Justice John Roberts, who stated in his dissent, determining the appropriate sentence for a teenager convicted of murder presents grave and challenging questions of morality and social policy. Our role, however, is to apply the law, not to answer such questions. So essentially what he's saying there is the law, we're, we are here to apply the, right. law, right. the rule of the law, not to necessarily change the right. law, right. which is what they would be doing. All in all, the court decision applied retroactively to all those convicted of crimes committed under the age of 18. It did not automatically free any prisoner, and it did not forbid sentences of life terms for young murderers. Instead, judges in their review would have to consider the defendant's youth, mitigating factors, and the nature of the crime before sentencing the defendant to imprisonment with no hope for parole. The case was remanded to trial court for the convicted youths to be resentenced. I say each one of them got the hearing before the the original court to be resentenced or not, right? Right. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions Promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And Uh, that's a big deal. I mean, look, this just changed... Think of if you're an inmate right. and you've been in, in prison since you were 16, right. sentenced to uh, life with no parole. Right. Oh, man. And now they This is life changing for you. I, I don't even know if I agree because I agree with the dissenter on the fact that I, I, I certainly believe that 17 year olds, uh, um, a lot of them, brains aren't fully developed, but the, the you know what? The Supreme Court is not there to rewrite the law. Yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. So him, they're Henry, interpreters, of right? It. So Henry Montgomery's lawyers used the Miller versus Alabama as a precedent to get Montgomery's case heard in front of the Supreme Court. And in 2016, they agreed, throwing out his life with no parole sentence and making him eligible for parole, y'all. But the key here is is eligible. Right. Yeah. It just means he has a shot of being released, not that he will be. And now, if you've been listening Bloody Angola for a while, you already know that while this was a win for Montgomery, he was not the first person released under this new decision. And a past guest we had on the show, Andrew Hundley, was in a two part series we did, or he did with us titled Second Chances. So go check it out if you hadn't listened to it. Great series. Great, great series, Andrew. It's just a, a an example of a person who can really, really turn your life around and make a difference. But Andrew detailed his release from prison after serving 19 years in Angola and sentenced to life without parole at 15 years old. And here's a clip from the very series where Andrew uh, describes the feeling on the day he was released. My supervisor is a guy named Alan Barton, and uh, June 9, 2016, his phone rings, and he answers it, and he looks at me, and I could tell whatever the the call was about, it was, it was about me. And uh, so I'm wondering, what's this about? And nowhere did it come into my mind, this has something to do with parole. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And he hangs up the phone, and he looks at me, and he says, pack your shit. 
And in prison, when you hear pack your shit, yeah. it, it, it's usually one of a couple things, but it could yeah. also mean you're going to the cell block. Right. It could mean you're getting swung. The other one is you're going, you're going home. home. But I didn't, this is how much I, I didn't allow myself to believe I was going home. I was prepared to go home. <laughs> you thought she did something wrong. I'm immediately like in that split second. What are the things? Uh, the, <laughs> Do they know right. I brought a brick of community right. coffee right. back to the dorm to <laughs> give to this old time? You know, like oh, what? What do they know? I got some extra chicken out the right. kitchen. Right. And he says, "You're making parole." And I was just like, "Wait, what?" He's like, "The parole board granted you, wow. and you're re- you're releasing now." Oh, and he's like, and so I lived at the office at the range crew. Um, we we were at the lake house yeah. uh, at, at the hog lot, you know, this prison jargon. And I have like 80% of my properties out there because I go back to the dorm to sleep right. and then come back to work and work all day. Yeah. And, and he says, pack your stuff. And I was like, I was like, man, I, if this is like a bad message, I don't want to pack all my stuff. And right. So let's go, let me go to the camp and see. He's like, mm, I'm not bringing you back. You're going home. So it took me going to the camp mm, and then give, giving me my release papers to sign yeah. before I believed it. And they oh, said, uh, right. do you They said, do you want to call anyone? I said, yeah, I want to call my mom. Uh, so I call mom. They give me the phone. I call my mom. She answers. And I said, hey, do you know anything about me? And she says, yeah, and you go, you, we're coming to get you. So I'm told, uh, you know, packing all, getting all my stuff gathered and all these old timers and these juvenile lifers who've been there all this time are coming up to me. We're so happy for you, yeah. man. We're, man, this is awesome. And I remember thinking to myself, man, how much grace that they have. Because if I was in their shoes, right, I would be saying, why this guy? The guys were like just showing me so much love. And the last two guys I talked to before I get out were two juvenile lifers. One had been in for 40 years. One had been in for 50 years. Wow. And they say, you're going to be the guy that helps the rest of us get out. Now, Andrew is the perfect example of someone, y'all, who took full advantage of his second chance. He got out, he earned a master's degree, and he founded the Louisiana Parole Project, which helps released convicts assimilate back into society. Now, as Woody said, Montgomery got his chance at parole two years after the historic ruling. So imagine that you... There's this historic ruling named after you. You. After you, you got, you're not out, yeah. and you're not or out you yet. Didn't get your chance. It's not. Yeah, it's you not didn't, guaranteed you're going to get out. Yeah. That's right. You didn't get your your uh, your chance. You didn't get to go before the parole board. As a matter of fact, somebody else did before you. Right. But uh, he did uh, two years later get his chance at parole after that historic ruling. And on February 26, 2018, at 71 years old, he went before the parole board. Now, he had been in Bloody Angola for 53 years that's, at this that's point. how old I am. Yeah. Um, but Henry was denied. Right, two to one. Two to one. The primary reason for his denial was the board felt he did not participate in enough groups And there was a massive and, look, understandable backlash from the various law enforcement associations in Louisiana, as well as Officer Hurt's daughter, who was fighting hard. She was fighting hard to keep him behind bars. Let me tell you something. They can say whatever they want to about the groups and shit. It, It was... It was the public pressure, and rightfully so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Officer murdered and family members, et cetera. And you've got, yeah, you've got the daughter up there. As a matter of fact, here's a short clip of that uh, parole board hearing. It's tough. We hear a lot of these cases. For me today, unfortunately, Mr. Montgomery, I'm going to vote to deny your parole. I have a problem with, I think you need more programs. Today, your parole's been denied. All right, so y'all, Andrew Hunley, rather than Henry Montgomery, gets released. Like we said, he was the first one. And shortly after, in 2019, Henry again goes before the parole board and again was denied. But there was another major change in the law that occurs. And in Henry's first and second parole hearings, the votes to release had to be unanimous. However, the law got changed again 
to where the parole can be granted by a majority vote. So in 2021, Henry goes in front of the parole board yet again, and he has a fight on his hands, y'all. And in this first clip uh, we're going to play for you, you're going to hear uh, Officer Hurt's daughter, Linda, Miss Linda Woods, and, and she's fighting hard in, in the hearing to keep Henry incarcerated. And, and you know what? I'd have done the same thing. But here's a clip. I don't believe he's sorry. He made a decision at 17 years old. You know right from wrong at 17 years old. I did. And I was raised that if I made a mistake, I suffered the consequences. All right, so y'all shout out again to Miss Linda Wood, uh, who's speaking for her family and her daddy. And you know, she fought understandably for many years to keep Henry behind bars. So Henry, uh, the pro board, and Henry lawyer speak. And here's a short clip from that historic hearing. He has checked every box that I am aware of. When he was denied last time, he went back. He didn't go crawl in his bunk and cry. He went and took other courses. He did what he was told to do by the panel. Go ahead and make any statements you want to make at this time. I'm real sorry that uh, I, you know, this, this, this did happen. I, you know, I had not known to scroll the whole family. If I'm going to have to live with this all my life, the rest of my life. This decree of the Louisiana Parole Board grants your release. On November 16th, 2021, Henry Montgomery was released from prison nearly six decades after arriving at Angola. Y'all, he was 75 yeah. years old. So I want to want to say something before I continue on, and that is uh, Woody brought up a, a great point, which was they changed the law right. to where you did not have to have a unanimous parole board decision right. uh in order to release someone, because there was always someone not agreeing with that parole. Right. It was always a two to one vote. Right. It just usually was two to one the right. other direction right. for Henry. And even it, the la it, even on the one where he was paroled, it was still a two to one vote, yeah. but it was in his favor. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this because my mama served on the parole board under Governor Edwin Edwards. Um, when we say two to one or three to one, y'all, that's the minimum amount of people that they have to have to vote. I think there's there or yeah, that would be considered they a had, they had, quorum. They had uh, uh, five board members assigned, mm -hmm. and and but you know naturally they, they were flying them in the state planes to different prisons every day and stuff like that, and they couldn't always be there. But you had to have at least yeah the, the majority, or maybe the majority. you know I'm not saying in this case, but sometimes people abstain. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, yeah, so real. yeah, you have to have a quorum, so you have to have at least three people to even right. have a vote. Right, right, right. Um, so Henry gets released now. Who do you think was the first person to greet him right after his release and pick him up right outside the gates? And if you guessed Andrew Hundley, yeah. you would be correct. Yeah. Uh, Andrew was on our show, and one of right. the things he said he you know he he almost deeply regretted was the fact that he was released before so many other people, right. but also before specifically Montgomery. Henry Montgomery. He said he because, felt guilty about it. Yes, yeah. he did. And and uh so he was the one who actually picked uh Henry up from the gates of Angola and got him his new start by bringing and, him and on at huge, Louisiana Parole. Huge advocate and 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 um with the board and yes. everyone else to try to get Montgomery out. Absolutely. So you may wonder what Henry had been up to since his release. Well, Henry Montgomery spoke about it in 2022 in a video that was actually released by the Louisiana Parole Project. Right. And look, y'all, regardless of what side of this case you're on, if you're human, it's going to pull at your heartstrings. Right. You're right. Um, it's very heartfelt, to be sure. And here's that 
clip, uh, and this is Henry Montgomery in his own words. To everyone who helped me along the way, I am writing this letter to express my gratitude for the beauty of freedom. Since my release on November 17, 2021, after 57 years in prison, people I did not ever know have treated me like a real poison. It's nice to feel like somebody that show was not the case back in 1963 when I first entered the penitentiary. I've seen a lot of juveniles come to Angola and a lot of them never went home. Some of them were killed in prison. Others died waiting for a second chance. But I always had hope. I knew that one day I was going to go home and I am blessed to be a free man now. When I am expressly grateful for my freedom, I am also deeply sorry for the pain and suffering I brought to Mr. Hurt family. I know I can never change what happened or even the mistake I made, but I hope to continue to use my second chance to better myself and my community. A year is a long time, but 365 days ago still feel like yesterday. As I walk through the front gates, I remember everybody telling me over the year that I was going to die in prison. I smiled because I finally proved that that was all lies. It was a great feeling. The Louisiana Pro Project was like a savior to me because I could not do anything but myself when I first got out. Andrew had promised me that he had never gave up on me. And there he was waiting to pick me up. Lord, my caseworker, a juvenile lifer who came home two years before me, helped me understand how society is today. I am almost 60 years behind time, and he was there to show me a new way of living. And I appreciate all that Lord had done for me. He showed me what I could do and helped me with what I could not do. Everything had changed. You know, Baton Rouge is a truly different place from how I remember. You have to have a helping hand when you get back in society. Everyone at Road Projects had been there for me. I could depend on them. They taught me to take it one step at a time. Now, I've tried to learn something new every day. I'm glad to see other juvenile lifers like Andrew, Lord, Matt, all who got out before me are doing good things, helping a lot of other people. They have prayed the way for me and prepared a place for me to go upon my release. They are giving back to society, and so am I. Once I start talking with people about my story, they are amazed that I was in prison for such a long time. Most people did not even realize that men are staying in prison that long these days. I lived with a lot of men at Angola for so many years, and I cannot forget them. I've already been back to see a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys, to say hello and just to give them hope. I always tell them to never give up. I am also thankful to my family who took me places and 
helped me experience new things. I have come to enjoy walking and looking at all these beautiful scenery. It's nice to travel and go new places. I have been to Washington, D.C. and Montgomery, Alabama. And my kinfolk brought me to the family reunion and they all showed me love. I am so grateful, so thankful for that. Now, I have my own apartment. And I love my apartment. For the first time in my life, I have a place all to myself. It shows deep being in Angola. I smile a lot these days. Being free just makes me smile. And I can't wait to smile some more when I go fishing, attend a football game, or just take a trip anywhere. This past year has been so beautiful, and I just want to thank everyone. I am proud of myself, and I hope to continue giving back for the opportunity. Yo truly, Henry Montgomery. What are, what are your thoughts on this one? Because, you know, this is the conundrum of, of just being a human being right. and, and, you know, caring about people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts, man? It's kind of, it's kind of tough. And I guess the – and I certainly have the human part of me too, but I also have the cop part of me. And this uh, officer hurt, um, he's never getting out of prison. Right, his prison is six feet underground. Yeah, right? he's never going to get to have anybody greet him at the gates, Angola, or anywhere else. Uh, uh, I understand um, Montgomery was was seventeen. Uh, uh, he still shot him and killed him and took him away from this world. Now the law, if the Supreme Court hadn't ruled the way they did, and they followed the letter of the law, he would never get out. Do I think he's going to kill anybody at 75? No. Do I think Andrew Hunley and them, uh, uh, there's certainly people who were sentenced to life that can get out and really make a difference in this world. And Andrew is definitely one of them. Um, and I believe, I mean, from talking to him, you know, when they push to get these people out, they really, really, really screened the shit out of them. Like, yeah. uh, they were like, okay, can this cat make it? Yeah. yeah. And they look at how they lived on the inside and stuff like that, and they won't back them. But I'm just kind of kind of conflicted from the old cop standpoint of um, he was protecting and serving, and he got killed for no reason. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Just messed up on this one. But the I, I, know, I know because Andrew Hundley – and, and he looked, Andrew admitted the horror of his crime. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, and, he's the and, first to admit it. Right, right. And, and, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll always be conflicted. Yeah. It, you know, it's, I'm kind of on the same page with you. Uh, of course, we are a, a police first. Absolutely. Uh, believe, people. Believe, and, believe. and that's right. And, and, um, you know, I've always kind of been someone that once the people speak, they've spoke. Right, and and right. so I've always been yeah. one to kind of err on the side of, hey, that was the sentence that and was, why are we changing that, it? Because the people spoke. That, that's, that's the law. They, yeah. They, they gave the verdict, right? Right. And, and uh, I can tell you this. If I was his family member, his daughter – I would be fighting Absolutely. and I would say, I don't, I don't care right. that he's 75 right, and he's right, been there right, 58 right. years. My daddy, my daddy, that's right. 75. No, and he didn't stand at my wedding, right. didn't do right, it, you right. know, he never get to see his grandkids or grandkids. totally relate to that. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I, I, I get her side of that and that's exactly how I would be. Um, but it's, it, it is a, I think a conundrum in humanity almost, um, because you do, you can look at the other side of that and say, well, he's been in a cage for 58 years. Mm-hmm. We've paid for this, this entire time. Right. Um, but there are very few, there are very few Andrew Hundley's in right. life. And I say that as a compliment right. to Andrew. Right. I agree. Uh, he is a, certainly an exception to that rule, right. whether he will ever acknowledge that. I don't know, but, right. um, uh, 
you know, it was a tough one. And especially hearing at the very end, uh, Henry Montgomery speaking in his own words, you can, you can, you can feel how sorry he right. is and how much yeah. regret he has. And yeah. in, in this situation, I do believe that that was a spurt of the moment, really bad decision out made out of panic and it turned bad. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't know that he would have been a murderer in his life had that not happened. Well, I mean, what, what what would happen if uh, Montgomery, you know, just was holding the pistol and, and Officer Hurt had to kill him? Yeah, and, and, and then we wouldn't even be talking about this. But That's the one, right. I tell you this, I just had this thought. My, you know, I always say the, uh, every policy procedure manual you've ever written is because every rule in there is because somebody screwed something up. So maybe, um, maybe I've reversed my decision a little bit in the courts. I mean, certainly there's some 17 year olds who aren't mature enough, but nowadays I don't know. But anyway, they, they, they at least have changed the law and they still have somewhat of a fail system in place with the parole board. They don't have to let them out as obvious. They didn't let Montgomery out the first two times. Right. 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 And so maybe, yeah. And the Hunleys of the world uh, who, who are doing great things now doesn't take stop the hurt of the families. No. Yeah, but prayers to all the victims' families. Uh, but it, if this is the best we can do and we can try to improve upon just a little bit at a time, then I, I'm not totally against that either. Right. And, you know, I think back in, in my own life and hell, I'm almost 50 and Woody, there were a lot of times that I turned right when I could have turned left. Uh, and that. if I would have turned left, I may very well be behind bars myself, but yeah. I made that right turn instead of that left well, turn. But I could have turned left. Swim didn't always make the right turn. <laughs> and my daddy used to say, people would be like, what's we doing? And he'd say, well, we thought we were going to have to visit him behind bars. Now he puts people behind bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what? so, so, so many split-second decisions that yeah, it just takes I, one. I ruined my life and, and, and a lot of other people say. So. I tell people, uh, I, and I've told my kids, right, tell I've said you're, you're one decision, decision away. away from ruining your life yeah. at every given moment. That's the truth. So you yeah. have to be cognizant of your response to everything. Right. And you really do. Yeah. It's a yeah. sad thing yeah. because we are humans and we're going to make mistakes. Right. right. Um, unfortunately for Henry, his mistake cost someone else their life. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you can't get that unfortunately back. Unfortunately for us, hurt. Yeah, <laughs> as well. Henry's as well. Cost him yes, life, absolutely. Great anyway, point. Great, great, great episode. We told y'all it'd always be something different. Um, we got some great stuff coming up, y'all. We were actually finally going to go ahead and schedule. Well, you know what? Maybe I don't want to say it out loud. <laughs> I told the person who was doing it, and, then, and I told him, I say, man, and I said his name because I've known him my entire life. I say, man, I said, you know, all the people I put up there, he said, don't worry about it. What are the bad ones locked up? I said, I know, motherfucker, but he might be a trustee. And yeah. He's like, you know what? I just did 10 years to get trustee, but there comes that some bitch down the yeah. wall. I'm going to go punch him upside his head, right? So, that's it. That's Stick that's a broomstick up your ass. I got, I, I, so I got Jim Chapman. <laughs> right awesome, I, I hit him off <laughs> anyway yeah. but love y'all and thank you for listening y'all please continue to like and share hey, uh, the number one history podcast in the world this year because of y'all yeah and we're growing every day no doubt about it jim chapman is just absolutely phenomenal with these stories i can't not take any credit for yes he can. him him putting them together and everything but uh but you know and if there's something that, that that y'all want to hear that you have personal knowledge of or whatever, like when Lieutenant Donald Duck Sharp came oh, on, the, yeah. uh, uh, let us know. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'd love to hear and, and uh, just shoot us a message through Facebook. And, and uh, if it's, if it's something about Angola, you want to know about, I know some people wanted to know, and I, I you know, maybe I'll get Woody to do this one day, but we'll, We'll do a, uh, an episode on DCI or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the there's presence. some people that listen to us that work at DCI. Yeah, absolutely. That, hey, shout out to all the correctional officers and the support staff and the classification officers and the yes. wards. Hell, I know all those guys. Yeah. And, and 
Yeah. And, and, well, Swim won't tell stories about you, so don't get worried. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know who I'm talking about, too. Yeah, but the, you know, they are the ones, and people just think I'm like Verona cops or security guards. No, bro. They, that's, that, that is a professional. Uh, no, I'm not saying some of them are shitty because they are, but the majority of them are true professionals. Yeah. And you think uh, working on the streets dangerous, which it is. How about working where, like Bloody Angola, where yeah. it's, it's full of murders. Yeah, you're surrounded by murders twenty four seven. That's it. Yeah, so, you're yeah. right. All, All right. right, thank y'all for listening. Much love, and until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Wrangler 3.